0: 60 radiant heat jobs in my career time. Um, I think the oldest one is 42 years old and still running like a champ. Wore out three boilers. Yeah, wore out three boilers. so I'd say it's doing all right. Being an old marine pipe fitter, I build all my own manifolds. A whole lot less expensive and they do exactly what I want and I get the right water flow not having to do a lot of rigmarole
1: what's up hvac crew welcome back to another episode of hvac r&d ryan and dennis we also have a guest tonight um i can't believe this has actually happened we finally pulled it off with uh, a laptop from the mayflower and a 10-foot kitchen table so um without further ado let's get it going yeah
2: come on
3: So what's up HVAC crew? Like Dennis said, welcome back to another episode of HVAC and R&D. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised we've got a fun show tonight that uh, warms my heart a little bit. But uh, before we get to the intro, uh, don't forget to go check out the swag Shop. Um, Hopefully you took advantage of the Happy19 discount code, but if you didn't, then now you need to take advantage of the ryden 36 discount code. 9% off and free shipping for my birthday. Everybody go out and get some hats. <laughs> There's a few left, but, uh, not very many. We need to, we need to order some more. And then also please don't forget Andrew. to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm getting ready to spam everybody's feed again. Cause I have plenty more old episodes to still post. I got about the first 17 or 20 up there. There's more to go. And also for any other info, you can always check our link tree in the bio of our Instagram. And uh I feel like I need to yeah, have, I still some don't long have a drawn out intro for this. I just wasn't even prepared well, for it.
1: Well, Whew. it's off the hit, man. You gotta uh, It is off the hit, man. This is a big deal. I was gonna let you have this one. This is so <laughs>
3: This is a show I've wanted to do since we started this two years ago. We talk about him all the time. He probably doesn't know all the stories I've told and I'm sure I'm going to get payback tonight. He's pretty but, famous uh, in Canada too, by he's, the way. He's very famous in Canada. He doesn't he know doesn't that, know it. but, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of Canadian people that want to know some Cajun Joe. And because of that, and I'm up here <laughs> visiting my parents. And sitting across my childhood dining room table With the man, the myth, the legend Mr. Cajun Joe, my father Welcome to the show, sir I
1: was born in the rain on the pots of tree. Water
0: to wash away New well, it's a pleasure yep. to be here, son. Now I get to get a little payback myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, here we go.
3: Oh
0: yeah, he's good. Get- <laughs> of course, now you got to consider I started this child in the HVAC uh, industry when he was five years old. So he learned to start picking up the trash on the job sites, and then little by little, he learned how to put in duck work. By the time he was 11, he was a pretty good, well-trained duck installer, uh, enough that uh, the adult males that would be working with in the summertime on jobs, and my son would tell them, you know that's not right. Dad's going to make you take it down. <laughs> first thing they tell the kid looks kid you're too dang young to know what we're doing and you don't know anything and then and and i walk and take a look at it and say okay take that down off the wall it's all wrong and they said well <laughs> your son said the same thing i said why didn't you listen to him and they said well why not because i said well consider the fact that he started in this business when he was five and he knows how to design duck work so uh, how many years have you got experience doing this? Well, I've been doing it about a year. I said, well, maybe you ought to listen to the kid. He knows something. There you go. So yeah, we're going to have the to, years. He's gotten better. He's taught his dad a few things too. I was going to
1: say, I got, I've got some questions myself that Ryan's not prepared for. That's good. That Let's hear it, it. down. <laughs> well, first we got to go into, we got to figure out what we're drinking here. Right, and you want well. We got to start with we got to start with Cajun. What yeah. you drinking? What you drinking? Sweet drink tea? tea. There you go.
3: <laughs> now he did enjoy a beverage at dinner, very similar to this oh. one, except it was the draft version. So Cajun Joe and I drank Hitchhikers at dinner tonight, and I'm drinking more Hitchhikers now.
1: <laughs> well, I had to break out the uh, I had to break out the good stuff for tonight's show. Oh, would so it have to be have peaches some, in it? No, it does. no, I didn't finish that one off. <laughs> Cajun Joe is a uh yeah, peach I'll brandy make maker. peaches as well.
0: Yeah, nothing like pickled uh,
1: peaches. I don't need any more hair on my chest. I got to quit drinking that peach brandy. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff uh actually my neighbor across the street, he loves it. Um it looks like a science project in my little mini fridge down here though. Those peaches in there. No, I broke out some uh, some Willet bourbon tonight on the rocks. Nice. Just I don't to help you last. sleep. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's gonna be the only one I have the whole show. So, I'm well, then just sip slowly. All right. So I've got some uh, I got some questions here lined up for you. I, we, we're going to have to get into, well, first of all, you don't have to go in, in too much detail, but what are you? Uh, what have you gotten into just here lately, just work-wise? Just catch up, what you been up to?
0: We've well, been putting in a lot of mini splits. You're not letting Chris put them in, are you? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, there are certain <laughs> things that have to go on. I got to say a lot for Chris, though. He came to work for me eight years ago, and he had worked for two previous HVAC contractors. And uh, what they would do is pile a whole bunch of stuff on the truck and say, here, go install it. He came to work right. for me, and I'm putting him on the first job with my installer, and I hand him a blue diag- uh, a diagram or blueprint of how I want the, the duct system installed. And the first thing out of his mouth was, what is that for? I said, it's real simple. (laughs) If you put it in like I've designed it, it's all going to work, and we got a happy customer. If you do just what the hell you want to do, it's not going to work. Oh. So (laughs) Uh, So then later on, we got to talking more. And after the first year he was with me, we always have an evaluation And I sat him down I said, well, tell me about what you think you've learned. He said, first of all, he says, I was surprised when you had me a blueprint of how you want everything installed and telling me how much air is going to come out of each one of the holes. He said, most Mm -hmm. everybody else just piled the stuff on the truck and said, go put it in. He said, and I didn't have the first stinkling what I was doing. So now after eight years, He's out there on the job, and when he walks in and looks at something, I get a phone call. Boss, you really need to come see this fiasco. (laughs) So (laughs) I get the chance to go out. I can hear him saying that. So that's a good thing. So he's learned quite a good bit about airflow and duct design, because I think you can take the anybody troubleshooting too. Yeah, he's really getting good at that. So. Yeah, he's the biggest thing is you can take the worst piece of equipment in the world and put a great duck system on it, and people love it. And take the best piece of equipment and put what most guys are doing now is putting crappy systems, and people hate the system, they hate the equipment, and they hate you. And, oh yeah, uh, duck, duck work uh, can uh, kill your whole. That's that's the answer whole to the business, biggest your problem. name.
1: That's right. Yeah. You know.
0: We're looking at one right now where we're just quoted. They got a five-ton unit on it, it's supposed to be supplying a whole wing of a building, and uh, it's able to push the air just about halfway, and uh, the unit has given up the ghost. And another company came in and said, oh, we can put a three-ton in here, and it'll do just fine. And I'm saying, yeah, the five-ton has been struggling just to get it as far as it's getting. Three-ton's not going to work. But uh, we'll see what happens when the people decide on what they're going to do. Uh, so you are you? Do you get called for
1: second opinions, or do you come behind some stuff that's pretty new, and they've just given up on the other contractor, and you got to take it on? Yep. yep, just about all the time. Well, you probably there can't be too many. How many how many companies are up there that you run across? Three or four? Or
0: uh, I'd say in our area we probably got about eight. Okay, that work in the area, and then there are some from out of the area that work in the area too. Right, we got. Well, some I'm sure com- you've
3: seen more and more coming over, just because so many have been pushing to build business because it got so slow for a while. I know you're seeing more and more people
0: you haven't seen before. I'm sure. Well, a lot of it too is our area is uh, kind of busting at the seam. Now that we have a railroad ride. Uh, There's a lot of tourists coming in. A lot of people want to stay. Housing is getting to be a problem. So everything in uh, our county, 80% of our county is national park. So 20% of the county is only allowed to be lived in. Uh, But uh, Okay. So property in that is premium and living space is real premium. But... What I'm finding is that there are a lot of people um, who are building and and they want to uh, gut the system because they want to get it cheap. And, uh, right. and I have a lot of refusals because when I design a system, I guarantee it's going to work. And, uh, oh, man, you're just too high. I said, yeah, but think about it. What I put in is going to work and I guarantee it's going to work. And if it doesn't, I will change it to your specifications. At no cost to you. And sometimes I get a taker and sometimes I don't. Some people, And then a couple of years later, I get a phone call to go check out the system. And they get mad at me when I tell them what's wrong with it. Because what it's going <laughs> to cost to fix it. And, uh, you know, that's to me detrimental. I just as soon walk away from them because uh, I'm not the one that put it in.
1: Yeah, I used to work for a guy that would just just couldn't say no. And you got to that'll bite you hard in this industry. Um just taking on anything and everything and doing it for whatever. You, you got to that don't work out in this industry. No, no
3: you got to set standards somewhere. Otherwise, you yeah. just become
1: overwhelmed and overworked and underpaid all the way around. All right, so we got to get into your path that my you We got to sh- dig up your, skeletons. Your, no, not your past. <laughs> your path to HVAC. Riding has given us a little bit. You can give us a give us a little bit how you got into this.
0: How I got into that? Well, uh, I was second in command of maintenance for a. million chlorine plant in Louisiana. And my job was, I had 55 people and I took care of instrumentation, electrical and refrigeration and AC maintenance. And also I was the trainer for all of those things. So I got to train people. How old were you during that? How old were you then? I was, uh, late twenties, early thirties.
1: Okay. Wow,
0: yeah, uh, I had come from uh, my background goes into uh, in the military. I was a boiler tender, boiler repairman, and worked as a, came out. Worked in a shipyard as a ship's operator, then the ship's pipe fitter and premium pipe fitter, and then instrumentation and control technician, and later specialist in control systems for marine equipment. And left there and went to work at Shell Oil Company as an instrument electrician. They went on a strike and I left. <laughs> and I went to the, the electrochemical company where we made chlorine. And uh meantime I was going to college at night for control systems engineering. <coughs> so okay. some people don't allow me into places where they got a lot of blinking lights because I kind of get mesmerized.
1: That sounds like me. Yeah, I'm just starting to push whatever button's closest. I'm yeah, pushing Yeah, something like, this. what's
0: going to happen next? <laughs> and uh, so over the years, I've had the opportunity to train people. And even here, after I'm, I moved here as in instrument and control systems, as well as in HVAC, as the people working for me, because half of them had no idea what they were really doing. So basically, I had to teach them and teach them different things in control system, teach them AC, everything. So those kind of things, having a background in the marine industry as well as in petrochemical and in electrochemical, uh, kind of gives me a broad scope on all sorts of situations. Um, Usually when I put in a radiance... You know, like
1: a radiant Well, a basic system. heat pump system seems pretty, pretty bland to you, right? Yeah. It's
0: got to. So, most of the time, I, I actually build a control panel for my radiant systems and make them as simple as possible and use parts that are readily available so that if something goes wrong, it's real simple to fix. Uh, yeah, all the good. electronic yeah. controls and everything are great and wonderful. But the problem is, You can't change individual components. You got to change the whole thing. Whereas to me, I like to have individual components and they cost less actually than the electronic digital equipment. And I can put blinking lights on them as well, in which I do. (laughs) No. So uh, it doesn't take a major genius to uh, put up, make a simple control system for radiant heat. So you can probably, on, on let's say you have a radiant system with three zones. Might cost you $100 in parts to build a control panel with flashing lights. That's if wow. you know what you're doing. That's right. And you make it simple. Old Japanese term, term keep it simple, stupid. Keep.
1: <laughs> All right, so I gotta ask, where'd you get the Boston accent?
0: Uh, mainly, it's not really Boston; it is more like I know New not. Jersey <laughs> and and so forth. New Orleans, New Orleans, downtown New Orleans accent is you no. Know, you sit on the curve and watch the birds in the park, and then, <laughs> I mean that's downtown Jersey. But uh, right. if you get out into the Bayou country. Where a lot of my relatives are from, uh, they speak a little different. There, hello there, Shao. How you all? How you was now? You know, come a seva. Oh, so they they, they right? talk a little bit like that. You know, they they, they really murdered the English language.
1: <laughs> so what happened to Ryden? Ryden's got like none of that. I can't uh, figure no, out what he, Ryden's he, accent. He, is. he
0: was not raised down there. He was raised here in I the know, mountains. But- it's the one that he doesn't have a Scottish accent. Right? <laughs> uh, a lot of the Scotch Irish are from here.
1: Yeah. Ryan's, I can't figure his accent out.
0: Yeah. So, you know, uh, What's really a lot of fun. Uh, no, I'll, I'll tell you a good joke. Cause it's really funny. You got, Two buddies that grew up and went to school together, and they one gal that went to school with him, my name Marie. He had Boudreau and, and 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 Gasson. And uh, you know, they both sparked Marie, but you know, Boudreaux he did the best. And he wanted married to Marie. Well, they stayed buddies and friends, and you know, Friday nights they played cards together and everything else, and they were playing the game called Bure which is a French card game. You got to be careful there. You can lose your payroll for the whole year <clears throat> if you're not <laughs> careful. But, uh, you know, they were playing cards. And Boudreaux said, you know, I'm going to get up and go in the kitchen and get some more pop with the foam on top and some more popcorn, you know. And so he said, okay, you know. So about that time, you know, his old bourgeois, he's sitting over there dealing the cards. He kind of drops some on the floor, you know. And when he reached down to get him, he take a good shot of Marie's legs, you know. Sit back up there and shuffle in the course. You know, Marie Cher, you got some of the best looking legs there is, yeah. She says, Yeah, I know that. He says, sure, would like to pass a closer look at them, yeah. So she said, Well, you know, you come by with a hundred dollars tomorrow afternoon, maybe that could happen, you know. So boy, the next day, you know, boy, here he is, knock on the door, and there he is, got that hundred dollar bill. Well, they went into the room, you know, they passed a good time, about that time, you know. Marie said, you know, you better get out of here because Boudreaux will be coming home from the shop. You know, it's going on 4 o'clock. So, man, he take off and get out of there. So, you know, Boudreaux come home and she's washing dishes looking out the back window and everything. And Boudreaux come in the back door behind her and say, hey, Marie, how you doing, babe? She's doing fine, Boudreau.' He said, by the way, did my good buddy come by here today? She's thinking, you know, well, his car was out front, you know, so... I can't lie. Yeah, he come by, passed by. We had some coffee together. She said that sounds good. She said by the way, this is my good buddy. Happened to leave a hundred dollar bill here for me. she's wondering how in the world he knew about that hundred dollar bill. So he says she's she's thinking. nah, no. you know he says, well, well, I can't have lied to him. You know I got to tell him the truth. So said, yeah, he does a hundred dollar bill. He said, hot dang! How can you beat a buddy like that? She said, How is that, Boudreau? He said, Hell, they come by the shop at one o'clock, bought $100, said he'd have it home before four o'clock for me.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. (laughs) That ought to get you
0: going. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man.
1: this is what I grew up with, people. You wonder why? I'm yeah, I mean, up. it's like literally, literally, Joe just like morphed
0: into a different person. Well, I mean, you got you got to look at life in different kind of ways. The Cajun people look at life as a fun game. You know, it's time to have oh, yeah. fun. You know, there's some serious things you got to be involved with. You know, you got to pay taxes to Uncle Sam, and you're going to die. You know, and the Cajun people, <laughs> right. you know. You know that's that's serious. Other than that, the hell with it. Let's have fun. So, uh, and I mean, when you die, heck, they're going to give you a party anyway. They're going to get, they're going to sit you in a chair at the, end of the, the street, and they're going to have a party for a whole week before they bury you. So I mean, what the right. hell? <laughs> it's a big sendoff. You no, know, so I mean, uh, that's the way the folks believe down there. Um, Louisiana is a funny state. You got to, it has its yeah, own Mason Dixon on, line. You know, it runs from Bogalusa to to Baton Rouge to uh, all the way across to to, to Ritter, Louisiana. It's kind of goes through that way, and everything above that, you know, is them stiff necked Scotch Irish and Baptists, and then everything below that is the Cajun French people. You know they were kind of Catholic, and they they snuck some Baptists in there, but the, we, we we converted them. But you know they. <laughs> So they learned that you know they, life can be a lot more fun if you just pay attention. You know, and don't no, don't get too the serious about a, stiff a lot of neck? things. Do what? What's a stiff neck? Stiff neck. A stiff neck? Yeah. That's a, that's a person that's got problems. But uh, well, down in Louisiana we don't have a stiff neck. <laughs> stiff neck I think is referred to those who have to have everything and it's gotta be perfect every time. Oh, I got you. You know, whereas the, the the Cajun's idea, you know, hell, this is one time around. Let's have a party all the way, you know. So, well, let's go out. And, I ain't wrong with that. So, I mean, they kind of believe in that, and so that's a good time. So, don't take life too serious. Do your best to keep a smile on your face and scare the hell out of your buddy.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: Again, that's what I grew up with.
1: <laughs> all right, so. I know what kind of system. Well, apparently the heat pump that was waking me up the last time I stayed there—it
3: is no longer. Did you end up replacing that?
1: Okay,
0: we have a new one.
1: All right, so that's that brings me to this. If you had no budget right now, what is your dream HVAC system to put in a house right now? What is my dream
0: HVAC system put in a house? One that doesn't cost yep. me any money.
3: No, he said if you have no budget. Or <laughs> no budget. No budget, no budget okay, at all. No you budget. can
0: do whatever you want.
3: Unlimited. Unlimited. Go to town. What do you do? Yeah,
1: if you, if you were building a new house right now and you were going to put something in it, what would you put in it? I'd put mini splits. The
0: so reason you would I'd do mini put, splits everywhere. My reason i put mini splits is every room would be zoned. And uh, my home, yeah. it has a zone system in it, uh, and I've really never really used it because I just left. It was okay to is install zoned when I for did the it, basement? but uh, no, everything is, is zoned. I just, when I hooked it all up, I didn't like the way it was operating, and I just put one thermostat upstairs and left it. Oh, okay. I not that. <clears throat> And I've put in a lot of zone systems uh, at one time, I think for zone X, uh, uh, years ago that, uh, I was second in, in North Carolina and in installing those systems and, uh, was a little guy then.
1: Yeah. But, uh, have you ever messed with the pneumatic zoning
0: with one, one, which one? like pneumatic styles yeah, on it. wells on, on board ships and in, in industrial uses. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say I've come across them in uh, commercial industrial. Yeah, most of the time that's where you're going to find it. You go aboard Marine vessels and some of the older ones with them, ones I worked on, um, Honeywell was a big thing with pneumatics. Um, when they were all set up and working right, they were perfect. They, they were very good. And uh, in the marine industry, you're going to use uh, steam coils and hot water or <coughs> cold water coils for your heating and cooling. Uh, one okay. of the things okay. that I was amazed at when I worked at Shell Oil Company was their uh, maintenance building. Uh, you could uh, boom up a 125-foot boom inside of the maintenance building. And Jeez. the it covered two city blocks, two big city blocks. And they actually air-conditioned it with steam and water. And what they used was an induction, an eductor system. Now, I don't know if you know what an eductor is. Uh, if you remember in no. high school... One of the experiments in science is you had a Coke bottle with water and a straw and you blew air across the top of the straw and it sucked the water up. Right. That's the adductor principle. So if you take high pressure steam and build a jet to where you can have water in a sealed container and pull a vacuum on that water, the water will boil at a very low temperature, which in turn removes the heat and your water is chilled, so then you have chilled water that you can air condition with. Uh, wow. They also use that. So what, I mean, they, what kind of tent would they keep it in a? Like, uh, the shop in the middle of the summertime. Or or, now you consider the size of this shop and the size of the blowers, because you could drive a pickup truck in it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we, we're talking we're we're talking air conditioning on a scale that's you no know, most people never see. And, uh, right. Or think about. Or, yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> you uh, look at how big the coils were in that, and they kept that shop 20 degrees cooler than what the outdoor temperature was. It was 100 degrees outside. It was 80 in the shop, so it felt cool. So oh, yeah. But, yeah they that's... actually dropped it 20 degrees. And in the winter time, they used the steam through the coils to heat the place so it was always comfortable right
1: Uh, what's your thoughts on geothermal you feel like it's trying to make a comeback
0: uh i got certified on geothermal way back in the 90 early 90s and right uh geothermal is really good the thing about it is it's so expensive uh, yeah, I've been the, seeing there's some crazy rebates on
1: it. Like yeah, the, I think the, up north they're giving like well, fifteen hundred bucks have, a ton.
3: We used to have some really or big rebates way. up here, which I think is what caused us to do some of the like ground loop ones that we did before. I know we did that one
0: where
1: close to the yeah, library. But is the cost now back back you know. to normal or is it still
0: high? You know, I mean. Well, you no. Know, uh, sometimes rebate. it depends on where you have to put the system um i went up i guess about mm, 15 years ago was one of the last inquiries i had for geothermal and it was up on the side of a mountain over in uh, haywood county I
1: and remember
0: that one. the only place that i could put a, uh, put like a, a big vertical heat exchanger it, right? or a transfer down. was in the driveway and i had to dig two 300-foot wells you know, put the coil in and then seal it. And by the time we were finished with what we were doing to put it in there, we were looking at about 26 grand to do a geothermal for the man's house (coughs) who happened to be in his uh, late 50s. And he looked at me, he says, I'll never get the full benefit (laughs) of this system, will I? I said, no, sir, you won't. You'll die before you get your payback. I said, that's the way it works. I said, unless you can get somebody to subsidize it and give, pay for half of it or more, uh, and you pay for the whole shooting match, you'll never benefit from it. So yeah, was- geothermal is good, and it is very oh, yeah. efficient. Um, I've done several of them over the years. I've had some that use use spring water because they had a tremendous spring coming out the ground and they just pumped the water from the spring right through it and right out the other side, back into a creek. And then uh, I think the first one I put in was in uh, Macon County. Uh, The man had a well that produced 150 gallons in 10 minutes of water flow. And we just needed like nine gallons a minute to put through the system to operate it and didn't have to put it back in the well because he had so much water. And then I did another one over there that we were having to put the water back in the well. So we had to use temperature controls to keep from overheating the well uh, with the return water in the summertime and then in the wintertime we ran into that same temperature differential with cold water i just
1: felt like the seer ratings were getting to the point you know cost versus the seer ratings you're getting now and the cost to put that system in versus geothermal and the cost to put that in i mean if the rebates are out there, there hardly
0: Yeah, I mean, if the rebates are out there, I guess. Well, the thing about it is, if you look at the high-efficiency equipment versus the high-efficiency equipment of geothermal, if the installer has really done a good job of designing his ductwork, you can really be real close. Right. And troubleshooting and repairs are lot easier on a regular split system than on a geothermal because if you wind up with a water leak oh hell it could be anywhere
3: well and i've i've only quoted maybe four or five systems that were geos since i went to wholesale i've sold three or four and half of them ended up being a pain in the rear end or i ended up having to go back and try to figure out how to support someone. We had sold one to in the past with a sales guy that didn't know what he was selling to a contractor that he had no business giving it to. I know there was yeah. A, there's usually only a
1: couple in each town, right? That are no. There yeah.
3: was there was a guy that put one in a brand new dairy down on the uh, North South Carolina line, maybe two hours outside of Charlotte, in the middle of nowhere. And they put the ground loops under the parking lot. Sound <laughs> like a mm. good place to So them. on top of that, they weren't buried deep enough. They were too close to the parking lot where they paved it. It was just sucking heat down on, onto it. <laughs> and the system was already yeah, no, way be. undersized for what it was going to be used for anyway. And it <coughs> never
0: worked. Ever. That's, that's why they have schools for that. Yep. uh because if you can't design your correct water flow on your your late your uh, heat exchangers uh it's never going to work right and, uh, no now there's a lot going on there you can the thing up. about it is if you, the biggest thing about here where we are uh in western North carolina from uh four feet down to 300 feet. It's 55 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not going to change. It's always going to be there. The earth heats about 300 feet of the earth's surface. I mean, the sun heats about 300 feet of the earth's surface with standard radiation from the sun. After that, then you're dealing with the core of the earth. But, um, a lot of people don't take the time to study what they're doing They just read a book and say, oh, yeah, I got this. And they haven't got an idea of the technical side of it uh, and installing it. Uh, I've got a good friend who did a lot of that out of Asheville and was very successful with the geothermal systems, but only because he was a good engineer. And the systems he put in were very viable and really worked and were not hard to troubleshoot.
1: I think Asheville is a pocket of geothermal yeah from what
3: well, i'm there's hearing. there's a couple of pockets of a lot a lot of money in Asheville and those people have have the ability to afford that kind of system too
1: right yeah I mean there's uh if the rebates there, if it makes sense of a young homeowner or something like that, I guess.
0: Yeah. I'd say um, a, a young homeowner building a house for the first time would go to geothermal or to radiant uh, or, or the combination of the two um, could really uh, put in a very good system that would be good for many years to come. I have a good friend that's a, a builder who's retired recently and just become a a house inspector but i enjoyed working with him when he was building a house because i could always count on a house that was square everything was where it was supposed to be and when we put the system in he worked with us to make sure that we got the thing balanced the way it would work right and i convinced him when he built his new home to put radiant heat in his basement and mm. after his first winter in his new home he called me up he said man am i glad you convinced me to do that i said how's that <laughs> he said my heating bill is way down he said that concrete once it's warm he said it's radiating up all the way to the second floor of my home he said my heat pumps that you put in don't work very hard at all
3: now so speaking yeah. of radiant I had a short conversation with another one of our Canadian friends uh day before yesterday and he was putting down a radiant floor system and I'm watching all these new floor systems where they just snap the pipe in place and just roll it down all perfect and all I remember is yeah I had to lay down wire and zip tie it perfectly to
0: <laughs> well <laughs> whenever we depends, did radiant systems you
3: know- we, i think the last the very last time we did a radiant job and wear sapphire it was the other engineer's house the engineer those from england i think that was the first time we used uh snap
0: in yeah in a the snap displays, floor
3: yeah. but before that it was always uh, zip tying it to wire mesh
0: well guess what's in that's my why joe said it was uh radiant floor yeah, but it's oh, really? to the, the concrete grid Yeah, <laughs> with zip ties. <laughs> hey, but, uh, I was going to say, that's why well, Joe said it, it
1: wasn't labor intensive. The,
0: the thing about it is riding was back when we were doing a lot of this originally with the concrete was before they put the fiber in the concrete. So you had oh, to okay. have the reinforcement mesh in your concrete. You still put down the two-inch board. But then you had the concrete mesh, and you would attach your tubing to the concrete mesh, and then you would pray that whoever the concrete guy was, he wasn't using a pitchfork to move the, the grid around when he was doing it. Uh, they did that on my Yeah, because they got to
1: pull the grid up. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. got to kind of pluck it. has a
3: that we've never been able to use.
0: Yeah, and that mm-hmm. was because they were using these little pitchfork things to pull the grid up. What I didn't realize is that they would have standoffs that you can put on the grid that holds the grid up at two inches so that you don't have to do that. Mm. Um, I've got a friend right now that's building a house at 4,300 feet altitude, and we're going to put in a radiant system in it, and he's using uh, the standoffs. But he wants me to put the um, tubing Directly on top of the insulation and then he's going to use the standoffs on his grid because he wants to have a grid in his thing. So it'll still work and it'll still heat everything. Uh, He's planning on pouring about a six inch thick slab. Mm. So once we get that mass warm, it's going to stay warm a long time and you just have to tweak it a little bit to keep it that way. So that's a pretty high altitude. Where's he at? He's off of Silvermine, in uh, off of Nanda Hill. It's it's on oh, top okay. of the mountain on Silvermine. <coughs> so and, what else is go? What else is going in the house besides that? Uh, basically, it's a strangely shaped house. It's going to be triangular in shape. Uh, so figuring out the square foot area was fun, and also figuring <laughs> out how to put my grid in it was fun. But I've got it all figured out, and I've got it drawn out and laid out. So it's going to work quite well. We're using a 90-plus uh, a um, uh, re- re- ream hot water heater to heat the water for the house, but also using it to go through a heat exchanger and heat the water for the floor. I don't like to get my water for the floor any hotter than 110 degrees and you get start getting up around 130 degrees you're getting up close to an expansion point where your concrete could pop and crack okay you don't want to to do that and the reason i say that is the first system i put in that's been in for 43 years and operating as i was a member of the builders association in nashville as a subcontractor and the gentleman that owns southern concrete I happened to be there and I was trying to find that information about the concrete as to when or how stressing it and everything else, how temperature worked on it and all. And I got to talk to him and he explained to me, he says, uh, concrete is always wet, no matter how well you seal it off. Also that you don't want to go above 130 degrees on that slab because as soon as you do, you're going to pop it. It's going to crack. So he said, "Why don't you stay between 100 and 110 degrees on your slab?" He said, "That'll heat it to where you want it without a problem." I said, well, "What about the moisture problem?" He said, "Well, how tall would a concrete column, a foot square, buried 10 feet in the ground, be before it quit drawing water up to the top of the column?" My guess: Oh, 15, 20 feet. He said, close to a mile. Concrete will pull (laughs) the water that far. He said, that's pretty simple. Yeah. And I mean, that came from a hydraulic engineer. Now, whether he was pulling my leg or not, I couldn't tell you. But I took the fact (laughs) to that, you know. But if you look at a concrete wall and check the moisture contact 10, 12, 20 feet up, you're going to find out it's wet. It's not going to be dry. Hmm. So, it's always going to have moisture in it. All right. So,
1: what are the perks you've had having your son as your salesman? <clears throat> it was a lot of
0: fun. Uh, <laughs> when he was a little guy. Well, it ain't guy. over yet. When I was, oh, when yeah. he was a little guy. <laughs> let's start off when he was a little uh, guy. Hold
3: on. Hold on. Hold
1: on. Oh,
0: oh yeah. Time out time out. Okay. Oh yeah, that's cool. I
1: heard,
0: I heard that. Right.
1: <laughs> I hope so.
0: Anyway, when he was a little guy, what I'd do is I'd take him with me to meet the people, the homeowners, and I would leave him to entertain them while I drew the, went through and measured the house and drew a plan of the house before we, I'd go back and sit down and talk to him. So he got to learn to communicate. And which was good and <laughs> right, Ron, uh, i wish I, was, I had
1: a little a little riding when i was selling or doing tech support <laughs> here you go in here and just talk to them
0: yeah no <laughs> so, you know and you, you won't hover over your thing <laughs> yep. and uh so anyway as he grew up he learned how to um address people and so forth but in so doing he also learned that how important it was to get a feel for the people as to what made them comfortable. You you have to if you right. don't ask the customer what temperatures they're comfortable at or how they like things to work and so forth, how are you really going to design a good comfort system just off the you no, know, just shooting it off the cuff? You know, you can design a standard system and just put it in there, but if you understand how the people feel about temperature and temperature control, you can do an even better job.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, homeowners know what they want. Sometimes they're terrible at explaining That's explaining it. But, you know, I've I learned over the years doing service calls that, you know, you start out, you run in there, you get out of school, you run in there, and you just ask them where the thermostat is, and you just start doing your thing. You don't even want to talk to them, right? But right. then as you get older, you're like, I'd sit in there and have a 10-minute conversation with them. You know what has it been doing? What have you seen it do? Is that you know? And the lady of the house probably knew more about it than the husband. Yeah. The one of the best uh, job site visits I've ever had. I think I've told it on this show, where we they've had you know four or five texts go out. This poor homeowner's got a brand new ninety six percent furnace, not keeping up. It's, uh, you know, 35 degrees outside and it just will not heat the house. So I finally go out there as a, you know, a tech rep and uh, the, the tech's like, uh, you want to go into the house? And I said, well, no, I want to go in here and talk to the homeowner. He's like, oh man, you don't want to talk to that guy. I'm like, yeah, I want to see what he's, you know, what he's got to say. He knows, I mean, he lives here, you know, That's right. he knows what it's doing. So we go in there and he's like, you know, I go to bed, I turn it down to 68 so I can sleep. I get up, I turn it to 72 and, uh, you know, this guy's in his seventies. He turns it to 72 gas heat, probably a 1800 square foot home. And he said at 10 o'clock, it's still not 72 in here. And I said, well, that ain't right. You know? You should be roasting in here by then. Hell, in thirty minutes you should be hot. And uh Yeah, especially with gas. So I said, Well I said, Well, something ain't right. So that's the one where I went, opened up the crawl space door, and the heat hit me in the face. And uh I looked at the tech and I said, Man, it sure is hot, hot under here. And he just said, Yeah. I said, It sure is hot in this crawl space. <laughs> He's just like uh okay what are you getting at i'm like there's a duck loose somewhere under here it is not it's 30 degrees outside it's 72 in this crawl space (laughs) hell i want to go work in that he's like he goes damn he said you know how many people have come out here of course it was a low crawl and i said look i'm not crawling all over there y'all put this in I said, "Crawl around there. Take you some screws. You got a duct that fell off somewhere." He gets back there and he goes, "Yep, here it is. <laughs> it was a twelve-inch supply that just fell off the plenum. God, you know the old sticky, sticky collar. Nobody put a screw in it. You know, they stuck it there and left. And uh, that poor guy's heat was just <laughs> going. They've doing the a good hole. job of heating the world. Boy, they've checked. They checked everything on that system." Gas pressure, static pressure, you know, the drain. And, the and dam everything the ductwork. fell off. Yeah, I drove two hours for, for 10 minutes of crawling around in a crawl space.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did well, a that's... church years ago uh, in Whittier, North Carolina, and uh, took my Radiant camera with me. And when the system came on, you could see the streams of heat, along with the bats coming out from underneath the church. And the bats were in a good place. They were warm, <clears throat> but uh, we had to cut a hole in the floor to make our own access to get underneath there. And during the daylight hours, and uh I sent two of my texts down there to take a look at it. And they come back and said, Boss, we ain't never seen that many eyes anywhere. Because <laughs> they oh, were looking boy. with a flashlight. <laughs> there must have been a million bats underneath yep. this church. The guano oh, was about God. six inches deep. <laughs> and uh I said, Well, they want us to fix this. How I said, they Well, not get us a whole that in of Heavy, heavy plastic. <laughs> No, we got religious bats here. So I, I got a hold of the, the, the powers to be at the church. And I said, Y'all have a job to do tonight. He said, What are you talking about? I said, After the bats leave home, you're going to go in there and you're going to block every one of those air vents off. What do you mean? I said, We're not going to be working with bats. So <laughs> no. they, they came over to the no. church at night. And they see all these bats take off. There must have been one of the largest bat colonies in Western North Carolina underneath that church. <laughs> <laughs> so they they had a rude awakening at daylight when they were coming back to go to bed because they were going to bounce off of those pieces of metal we had them put in there. So, Oh, they we, went to somebody's house. Oh, yeah. They went all over. They had to find something. But uh, we put down heavy canvas and also plastic over the top of the guano so we could work. And uh, we installed new gas systems for the church. And then I uh, said, now you are going to have to put some screened, louvered panels on all of these vents because your, your church has got to be able to vent, you know, to allow the moisture and everything keep it from rotting. So we right. put thermal vents in all of them, still kept the bats out. But uh, it was really a lot of, it was a lot of fun, especially when my guys crumb crawling back up and said, my God, boss, we've never seen that many eyes in our life. So <laughs> I, I got That it, is the worst is, feeling is, in a crawl space. You know I mean, you, you see that many eyes looking back at you, there's something going on. Yeah, that's a terrible feeling.
1: Just one set of eyes that you don't know what it is. That's true. You always look and see how far apart they are. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's, an, that's another thing. You see them <laughs> about six inches apart. You're like, yeah, I'm out of here. I don't
0: know what that is, but it's about my size. Yeah, yeah, I'm it's, here. it's too big, you know, in South Louisiana, yeah. you wouldn't want to even the houses, you know, see eyes that far point, they're kind of greenish. You want to get out anyway, because that's a long lizard. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
1: so what did you ever get into any uh i know you fish but did you ever oh you grew up and get into any gator i know but you know we see it on tv the uh swamp people
0: oh yeah yeah is that, is that big
1: business down there
0: oh yeah yeah i'll tell you a story about my grandmother my grandmother was four foot eight now her brother was kind of a big burly guy And Grandma was kind of young at the time, and Granddad was working for the railroad, and they lived in a place called the Devil's Elbow at the end of Colapissa Street in New Orleans. And it was like a great, the way the tracks came, there was a big land area between the tracks, and it made like a big 90-degree turn, and he called it the Devil's Elbow. And uh, anybody that worked for the railroad got free housing to live in while they worked for the railroad. So her brother decided to bring her a four-foot alligator and put it on her back porch, her screen porch, <laughs> no, <laughs> just, just as a surprise for his little sister. Geez. So, <laughs> of course, grandma's cats, you know, they went up onto the screen. They weren't coming down. They didn't want no part of that thing. <laughs> but anyway, he went back over there later that day, and uh, he went in, and the alligator was off the back porch, you know, and he seen a little bit of blood. It went in the house, and his his sister said, "Well, you want some fried alligator tail? I cooked that rascal up real quick. Thank you, brother, for bringing it over."
1: <laughs> Holy <laughs> cow! And grandma
0: killed that alligator, skinned that sucker, and cut it up in pieces and cooked it. No, that, that's what you call the alligators. Coke. uh That's it. It's, it's like a good catfish me. if it's really done right.
1: So it's to me. I always thought it was. It was. In between chicken and fish. It kind of fell in the middle there. Well, it depends like on the how texture. it's prepared.
0: It just depends on how you cook it. That's all it is. The other thing is also how you cut it. Cutting meat oh, a certain okay. way makes a change in how meat can really be prepared and taste, if it's mm-hmm. any good. If it's cut wrong, it's like chewing a piece of um, rubber. Yeah, like a brisket. Yeah, if you cut yeah. a brisket wrong, it's over. Yeah, that's it. So, but if you cut it right, it's perfect. So,
1: but, uh, all right. So, I wanted to get into, I wanted to get into the future of HVAC with you because I think you've got a good, you've got a good sight on it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well,
1: okay. Well, that answered four of my questions. (laughs) Um, if, would you, if, if you were just getting out of, you know, school, would you start an HVAC business right now with all the stuff coming? No. No. Yeah, it's no. a lot coming on. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Become an you know? electrical contractor. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I can you obviously see yourself in the trades, but uh, I'm
0: I'm basically a mechanic of some kind or another. I could have been a plumber. Right. I could have been a heating guy. I could have been an electrician. I took the unlimited electrical exam back in the early 80s, and I was the first person to pass all the math in 10 years, but I missed five questions, and they wouldn't give me the license. I said, anybody can read the book, How Many People pass the Math. And, uh, <laughs> the, you know, so if you answer the question don't pass the math, you, you can get the license, and that's kind of crazy. I yeah, mean, some of those tests are, licensed tests are that, not. That test was they're, was... they're not geared like they should be. It was a square block of condominiums, all underground transformer service. I had to design all of the electrical wiring, all of the transformers, all of the services for all, the tra- all of the condos. I got all of that right. I just missed... I answered the question with with a residential question instead of a a, a commercial question, and that's what what they mm. hit me on.
1: Yeah, I know North Carolina here. The license test is uh. I got guys that are really, really, really sharp with everything HVAC and can't pass the test. Then you got guys that pass it, and this guy's calling me, can't figure out why he ain't got 24 volts on at his thermostat or something. I mean, it's interesting who passes and who can't pass the test. It's just, I don't know. I had that in the Navy. North Carolina is one of the worst in the country, man. It really is.
0: Well, the three hardest ones to pass are California, New York, and North Carolina. Uh, years ago, yeah, I'm sure uh, New York's tough. Worked with some engineers on some projects for a university, and they said if it passed the code in North Carolina, it would pass anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, believe that, that. I mean that these guys <laughs> yeah, no were the joke. engineers. You know, I was just Joe Flunky. Uh,
1: yeah, Ryden can vouch for that. Some of his contractors have a tough time. Yeah that's the truth i get asked to help guys with loads way more than i ever imagined that i would as a tm um well yeah you go down one state and nobody cares if you got a load or not you're learning a load or or getting a getting electrician to connect your whip to the unit i mean yeah you know in georgia man it's the wild west I was going to say, like, how
3: long did it take for them to introduce that, like, limited electrical for you to connect your own whip? Didn't
0: they do that in, what, early 2000s here? Um, somewhere in the late, late 90s, early two thousand. <clears throat> but if you take the exam, you just will take the, the limited electrical exam. It's, it's basically the same exam. Um, having been in charge of electrical components and so forth for a major electrical using factory or plant, whatever you want to call it. And working with a lot of high-tech engineers who worked with NASA that came to work at our company. Um, No, I walked, when I worked at that company, I walked around with a calculator in my pocket all the time because we were always constantly (laughs) running into situations when you have a plant that cranks up and uses one third of the electrical power in the state of Louisiana, you're using electricity. I was you know, getting ready oh, to say, wow. you
3: need to tell Dennis how big um Hooker was where you worked in tax. Hooker was
0: a half a mile wide and a mile deep. Little plant. Good lord. And uh we had uh four planted. different sections. We had four different sections. The old plant in the front was 600 tons of, uh, 100, of 92, let's see 98% pure chlorine in 24 hours and about uh, 800 tons of 50% caustic soda and about 400 tons of 75% caustic soda. The next plant was trichloroethylene, perchloroethylene uh, solvents for electrical cleaning and so forth. Then we had bromine, yeah. bromides we produce. Then we had an area of about, uh, well, it was a half a mile wide. And I'd say about three city blocks across. And you came to our chlorage plant. And chlorates is another chemical used in the paper and pulp industry. It's very dangerous. And people need to really respect it a great deal. And then they built the new uh, Eight fifteen 15 plant that I worked in while I was second in command of maintenance in that plant. And we made 815 liquid tons of chlorine, 98 to 99% pure chlorine in 24 hours and 1,500 tons of 50% caustic soda. So Now,
3: is caustic soda a byproduct of creating chlorine? Is that how that happens?
0: All right, To produce chlorine, you really use a sweet salt brine. When you use it with sweet salt brine, you pass DC current through the brine. As the DC current goes through the brine, it releases two atoms. One's hydrogen, one's chlorine. Chlorine goes negative, hydrogen goes positive. Hydrogen, we were burning off in torches on the plant until we put hydrogen burners in our boilers. I designed a control system for the hydrogen compressor that the company uses now worldwide on all of their, their hydrogen compressors. And what what was really funny when we were building the plant, uh, my boss and I went a trailer with three secretaries. He's one end, I'm on the other. And we wrote up all the spare parts for the whole plant. Uh, he took care of uh, piping and uh, machine parts and cranes and all that kind of stuff. I took care of electrical refrigeration and instrumentation and wrote up all the spare parts for the plant there for that. And it uh, took us about nine months before we started getting where we could start uh, testing the systems in the plant. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, nice thing about it is as we went through it, uh, our engineers who designed the plant live in New York, you know, which is kind of hill country and, we built this thing in a swamp and uh, they put the sewage lift station 14 feet into the ground in a swamp. Now what's going to happen <laughs> with that? It's going to fill up with water when you have a good rain. And, uh, the, right. it so happened the, the startup night, the, we had a monsoon the night we decided to start the plant. And I guess within about, uh, three hours, Everything went out on ground fault. And in the process since I was electrical supervisor, uh, my job was to find the problem naturally. And so yep, uh, I took my crew and I we hit the main substation and tripped out all of the we had like uh, 16 13,800 volt breakers in that main subdivision, same, subcontrol sub control center. We had four uh, sub, substations in the plant. So what we did was we kill all of that and we went to every one of those, opened every switch on everything. Since we had walkie talkies, we could talk back and forth. So as we started putting power back into the system, we would start closing in breakers on pumps and different facilities of the plant and then we got to the last substation and we were on the last row of switches to kick in. And when the guy threw in the, the switch for the, the storage lift station, we were out. So we learned that, you know, everything, <laughs> everything had gone to poop in the handbasket right there. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, so the, and we, and so when I went out to the storage lift station, which had about a foot riser above the ground, and the water was a foot high, it was two feet deep at that point. So you know the sewers lift station was full of water. And uh, the next morning at daybreak, uh, of course the rain had quit and the swamps had started to drain the water off. We pumped it out and I was amazed. Uh, we had uh, Westinghouse, Explosion proof um, containers to put all the well, all of the, mo- the motor controls were in. And when we unscrewed those and dropped them, the surge had actually eaten up the copper and the silver inside of it. So, and that it, fast? That fast, one night. And uh, oh, so. Wow. What we did was we redesigned it, put extensions on all of the pumps, put the pumps three feet above the ground. I'd redesigned the whole electrical system and put all of the main controls three feet above the ground, up above the ground, up so that everything was controlled at a point where we weren't going to get flooded out again. Huh. So, it, sewage is a real bad thing to deal with.
1: <laughs> Why he's not a plumber? Yeah, we talk about that on the show. Yeah, the plumber. But uh, we got to have a plumber on the
0: show. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, we you got to do to something like that. The but they're uh, talk about a plumber. <laughs> now we did a job here in, in BC, and uh, a special one because this place really gives free medical help to people in the in the community who can't afford. And the right. town sewage system backed up into the basement of this uh. particular facility, and also into our duct system. Oh, I'm out. I'm yeah. Out. So we had a lot of fun with that. We had to take it all out and put it all back in, and make sure we washed everything. Even when we put new pipe in, we washed the new pipe just <laughs> <laughs> just to be sure. And then uh,
1: God, we it's put, just a special breed of, of yeah. I yeah,
0: don't know. So, mm-hmm. so we put uh, um, air purifiers in the system, UV purifiers in the system to assist to make sure that we killed all the bacteria if there was anything that we missed. So. There. All right, so
1: is there is there any changes coming in HVAC that you're actually excited about?
0: Yeah, I'm going to retire.
1: <laughs> oh, <there> yeah, <you> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I know I'm asking you these questions, and you got like uh, you got like well, the end of this. I'd say you're, you're here, you're there.
0: What, what I'm looking at is. Um know when I design a system along with some other contractors who really pay attention to designing systems, you design a system on your uh, 0.1 on airflow and 0.05 on return, you know, so that you really get a, your correct airflow. I mean, the factory has given you some really, uh, clues as what they want because on the discharge side, the duck is smaller. And on the return side, it's real big, so they kind of give you an the idea they want right. no pressure to deal with on the back end yeah. and they're going to jam it through on the upper end. And, yep. uh, yeah. Gonna, I mean,
1: look at an air handler, right? Look yeah, how that, it's designed. That, that, you got it, that.
0: It tells you that. And now what I'm looking at, what they're talking about, this thing's going to be what um, uh, design is going to be. Uh, Point 0.6, point six point is what ratings are going to be set on. So, total, I mean, that's static. pretty high. Yeah, to, but total static. Total static, but I mean,
1: yeah, they're saying that's real world conditions. Which and then, in and in retrofit in situations, Carolina,
3: we see terrible static all over everywhere. So yeah, I mean, point seven
1: them, is
0: pretty st- standard. Yeah, right here. I hate I to mean, say that, but it
3: is. We see terrible duck systems all the time in Charlotte. And, and, and Carolina, that's the know.
0: reason they're going to this is because of the terrible duck systems and the guy's really not paying attention, uh, doing due diligence to design things properly. This is throwing a monkey wrench in there. The guys that are doing well, a good won't... job. Now, what are we going to do with this thing as a point six, I'm still designing on point 0.1. What's that going to do with the system? How's that going to do that? Gonna... Well, they're,
1: they're... They're forcing the they're forcing the brands to get a to get fourteen sear or fourteen sear 0.2 uh out of a 0.6 duck system. You know, in all these years that SEER rating's been rated around a point two, point yeah. one, point two, somewhere in there. And they're forcing everybody so Essentially, this is just a fancy way of saying everybody's got to go up on their sear. Um, but yeah, I'm with you now. Talking,
3: uh, I was gonna say, talking about duck design, talk about when you went out west and were learning duck design.
0: Remember,
3: you went smoke. Yes, factory training when you had a build Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh,
0: no, I didn't go out west. I went to Charlotte to a special school that the dean of engineering from Oklahoma State University and their head That's professor and the head inspector from Oklahoma They did a, a school, about 500 contractors attended that in Charlotte. It was two 12 hour days. Uh, I had just gotten married at that time and uh but i went to the class my buddy who was a carrier dealer over here george here who passed away this past year uh lost a good friend he and i were the only two contractors from over here in western north carolina that attended that class and what was really Mm -hmm. nice uh i think it was dr bose that that was the gentleman that like the Bose speaker, but he didn't do the Bose speaker, but he was Dr. Bose. And everybody had a piece of paper and pencil on their desk when they sat down. He said, draw me a duck system with duck sizes. Don't put your name on it. Just pass it up. They put it all in a basket. (laughs) He had a complete plastic system of every kind of duck you want to imagine. And he could they could shine that up on a big screen and put smoke in and show you what was happening to it. <clears throat> so we designed the duck system, turned it in, threw it all at the end. So he would just reach in the basket and okay, and he'd show a picture of what the guy, whoever it was, drew it. You might hear somebody behind you or ahead of you saying, hmm, that's mine, you know? And so <laughs> when he would. Oh, put shit, the, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> so when he would put the <laughs> system together, and put smoke in it, you would actually see the smoke swirling around inside the system and not even coming out.
1: Oh, turbulent!
0: Yeah, the turbulence would be there, but no air was coming out of the vents, no matter how hard he was pushing it. And what little bit was coming out, and you'd hear somebody say, "Oh my God, no wonder my system don't work," you know. And this went on. <laughs> this was going on for two days, twelve hours a day, you know. And and George and I looking at that saying, good thing we don't do that crap. <laughs> 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 you know, so, but I mean, I walked away from there and if I wouldn't have just gotten married, I would have moved to Oklahoma State and gone and gone to school with that, that professor. I mean, I was that impressed. Yeah, that seems like
1: something I'd like.
0: It was probably one of the best schools I attended and it really enlightened me to want to do a lot better job. What I'd had. Well, at
1: the end of the day, it's going to help you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, a good friend of mine, Luca Healy was a uh, heating and cooling engineer and he worked for the folks that we used to buy York equipment from at the time. And, uh, he was my sales engineer. And, uh, I asked him one time before I attended that school, I said, Lou, how should I design my system? He said, if you really want to just do down the brass tacks, he said, design 400 CFM supply, 450 CFM on return. He said, you'll be in the ballpark. And really, if you use that term, you will be close enough to be almost perfect. Yeah. That's kind of where I was at. I mean, you just stay with the 400 on mean, supply you just, and 450 on return you got enough air to feed your system
1: i'll never forget when i did a little i did a little airflow class um and i had a i'm trying to think of that furnace it was a 96 percent right, variable the speed
3: one, yeah it's a 96 v
1: Yeah, I don't know. Was it a three-ton drive? I think so. Yeah, it was. Um, Yeah, we would, you know, it was just a furnace. I'd plug it in, fire it up, and uh, I had the, on the return side, I had it cut out of the side. You know, I had it on casters. Yeah. And uh, I just threw my, uh, I threw the lid to my tote that I brought all my stuff in. I threw it over over the filter, and you'd hear the furnace ramp up you know, because it's variable speed and it's, it sees the static go up. So it ramps up and I took a piece of paper and just laid it on top because I didn't have a plenum on it. And you could just lay a piece of paper on top and it would just lay on the heat exchanger. Yep. And everybody would look like, why is there not any air coming out of that furnace? I hear it (laughs) running and I'm like, look, if it can't get in, it can't get out. And it's a really simple concept, but I swear it's just like, you yeah. seen all the light bulbs light up when you when you did that when I did that it's, um, <laughs> and all I'm basically saying is look man all these all these returns around this town are struggling. Um, if you just could get a little more return on the system; it would go a long way. No, it's Most of the sp- supplies are are in the ballpark, right? But the returns, yeah. man, it's the returns at every job I went to were shy. No. Yeah.
0: Well, uh one of the most famous ones I found a lot of here in these mountains is they like to use the two by four wall. They drill about four or five two inch holes through the two by four and put a twenty by twenty five filter grill on there and say you got a twenty five by twenty five filter return. (laughs) 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 It's kinda crazy. Um that don't work my Uh, tech my tech and I went to a job that him and one of the contractors he worked for had installed. Lady was complaining that the noted system just wouldn't keep her house no comfortable. And so I said, well, let's go. When he would pull up the device, He said, well, I helped so-and-so install this. I said, okay, let's go find out. Well, we went in, I started looking, well, you know, got pretty good amount of positions as far as where the grills are for supply. Let's go look at the return. Well, I came in the hallway and there was a doorway right past the the grill, but I I looked at the grill, but then when I looked around the the door frame, there was a commode on the other side. (laughs) So (laughs) I I opened up the the filter grill and sure enough, there was six two-inch holes drilled through the two-by-four, and that was supposed to be the return for a -a three-and-a-half-ton unit.
3: Yeah, that worked out. Oh,
0: (laughs) no. So I explained to the lady she had an open staircase there. I said, you know, I can put your return underneath this staircase, and you will not believe how this thing will run. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, blow the curtains off the walls. But, uh, you know, you run into those situations, and that was something that used to be done in these mountains a lot. I mean, I'm talking all over when we go service and I'd, I'd see two of these grills on the, on the baseboard and I'd go down in and look and, you know, they got a great big duct there. But when I pull the grill off the wall, I mean, there wasn't enough square inch area to allow the air to return.
1: Now, I've seen that a lot in Georgia where they you go on a crawl and you'd see, you know, they on a two ton system. They always, you know, everybody loved to use the fourteen inch flex, which is not enough, by the way. Just, you know, yeah, if it's flex. But anyway, they yeah, <laughs> they would run that flex up to the floor. You'd see it go to the floor. But then when you went up in the house, you took the took the filter out and looked down in there. That thing was footballed, yep. and it was like. You know six inches across and you know 20 inches long <laughs> i mean it was uh and you could just hear it whistling just just struggling uh but you know a giant 20 by 20 filter or 20 by 25 on the wall
0: but you look down on the ground and you yeah. ain't got that and said now watch what's gonna happen i'm gonna pull the cover off of this unit and you tell me what happens to your airflow and you pull the cover off and of Wow, you know, and then <laughs> I said, "Okay, that's the problem."
1: Yeah, it's
3: not the best. Was
1: uh going to trim out a new construction job, and they didn't cut the sheetrock out, <laughs> and you have no return at all. You're thinking, "Golly, why does this thing sound like this?" And you're just like, "Okay, well, there might be a return right here." You start get you get the sheetrock saw out. Yep, there it is. They just sheetrock right over the top of it. Yeah. Well, that they was started always, up.
3: They always laid the floor over it, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, just ran floor right over it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, we've had that on supplies. And then I'll tell you what I had. What do you- Back when I did a lot of work for Quala Housing years ago, uh, I had done the computer center in one of the areas on on the reservation. And they called me up and I had already got all my grills in place and everything else, because they had put plastic across the ceiling and put to keep a barrier between the insulation and what they were going to do. And they said, we want you to get the duct system. I put all the duct system in all the grills, you know, because they had the computers in there. Well, they sent their crew in there in the evening and the crew put sheetrock up. Well, two days later, I'm getting a phone call and somebody's trying to bite my head off because the, the system doesn't work worth a damn. I get over there and I start looking at the sheetrock and I say, where's my grill? Well, you could see this bulge in the sheetrock. <laughs> so I went in every room and there was a bulge <laughs> in the sheetrock where my oh, grills geez. were. So I went and got the foreman and I said, take a walk with me. He said, well, what's going on? I said, I want to show you a little simple thing. You know, you have been up my, you know what, like rotor rooter And I said, now, uh, I, I deserve some respect here. I said, now, take a look at the ceiling above your head. You notice a little bump there? He says, yeah. I said, that's my grill that's underneath your sheet rock you might ought to go around these rooms and cut the sheetrock out and expose my grills because your turkeys put the sheetrock right over all <laughs> my grills. Yep. Good old sheetrock, guys. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's amazing what goes on.
1: All right. Well, Joe, I don't want to keep you up too late you got to get up at 6 20 right yeah That's what you said 20, 20 after
0: six yep 20 after six and we go go to the office and go have fun
1: i hadn't talked to chris in a while is he good how's he been
0: oh uh, he's doing pretty good you no know, since the guy just got married and everything else he finally married the girl she made him an honest guy now for a little while we'll see how that works
1: <laughs> he's gonna be the next one we got to get on this show oh i know right
0: oh god almighty i'm not sure if you're ready for yeah that.
3: i don't either. I don't, if I we not. either I don't know if we were ready for this one i definitely think we're gonna have to have a few more of these oh yeah I've i've learned stuff tonight that i haven't learned in the 36 years i've almost been alive two days
1: oh i knew i could talk to joe forever Oh, I miss Joe. I miss talking to Joe. Well, you you know, he only called me when he had a problem.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really before Dennis, before you were the the tech for, for our supplier, uh, Hildebrand was, was a guy. And, uh, several times he put me on the spot. Uh, somebody called up and said they were having problems with, 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 the equipment and, he said do you know anybody that knows anything about this stuff he said well i'm gonna tell you one guy you need to call and get him he said that's one guy very seldom if ever calls me and if he calls me he's got a real problem he said <laughs> he said we, we, he, we he solves most all of his problems he says call him and get him to go and then several times i've had to drive way over to lake lure or somewhere on the other side of black mountain to go troubleshoot a system for somebody and to tell them what was wrong. And uh, I
1: remember the first site visit we had me and you, and it yeah. was that it had the, uh, the low voltage wire was, I think it was too long, right? Well, you didn't know how long it was running from the stat to the unit. No. We were guessing hundreds of feet and it was dropping voltage. Yeah, and we just twisted them together. I guess it's still working. Yeah, I hadn't well, heard sometimes, from.
0: You. <laughs> sometimes people don't realize that wire has a resistance, and uh, uh, I've been amazed that people run a thousand feet of number twelve wire and expect it to run on 120 volts when they crank it up, not realizing how much it's going to drop. It's going to drop eight to ten volts. Yeah, it's, you know when they start right. it up. And uh, then then they've low voltage is no different. Yeah. Uh, The old bingo center at Cherokee, uh, a contractor from out east uh, had uh, put in, I was a York dealer at that time, put in these 20 ton York units, but they never would all stay online. And it was 10 of them and uh they couldn't figure out what was going on so i went he said can you go over there and do that well sure i can you know whatever you know it's on my york dealer you're a york dealer you can save you the trip coming up here you know you're gonna pay me my fees he said oh yeah no problem so i went in there i started cranking up the equipment and i got eight of them started And when I started up the ninth one, three of them tripped on low voltage. And I said, wait a minute. (laughs) So, okay, this is all three-phase equipment, uh, 230 volt, three-phase. So I said, well, let me try something. So now when I started putting this, they had a whole bunch of air filters hanging from the ceiling as well. So I cranked up all the air filters along with the smoke eaters they had. I could only get four units to stay online. Anything else I put online trip out on low voltage. So I went to the main power panel, put my clamp on amp meter on it, put my bolt meter on there and I started registering when we cl- closed the circuit in. Well, heck man, voltage was dropping out the bottom. Amps was shooting through the roof. I said, Oh, this is good. So now I started checking the wire size went outside and I, I checked the transformer bank they needed another two transformers to bring the voltage up to where they would have enough voltage to run everything in a plant so i called the, the the heating guy back and told him what i found he says how do you know that i said i worked in electric chemical plant i said i know what it costs with low voltage i said everything you're losing is low voltage it's not your fault the electrician whoever installed that equipment didn't put enough service to handle the whole building. Right. So he went to the tribe, and the tribe got the uh, original electrical contractor who didn't like me after that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I feel so, like when you say it like that, the guy goes down to like a TP to see the chief, right? Like, you know, well,
0: I mean, you know, so he goes and see the tribe. Well, the worst part <laughs> about it, his wife is owned, is Cherokee and owned 51 percent of the company. So I made, <laughs> oh, I made him look bad, and I'll just say HVAC <laughs> contractor. So but they, they upgraded the, the service and everything. I called the power company. I called Duke Energy and had them come, had their engineer come out and I showed him what was going on. And he said, Oh yeah. He said, absolutely. So I said, pass the word. So i called up my guy. He paid me. And you know, the next thing I saw was that contractor was out there and had all kinds of trucks out there loading up, putting <laughs> transformers in, <laughs> <laughs> Run, running some new lines into the building and putting some new panels. So after that, every yeah, at least once.
1: A, I was gonna say at least once a week. I, it was always in the summer for whatever reason, but um, somebody put in a ten ton or a seven and a half ton brand new package unit. Yep, goes to fire up and uh, drops out and restarts. Um, starts a you know a, a delay on the low voltage and they'd call me and say man this thing's brand new and i said what's your voltage they're like uh it's 208 230 i'm like well, which one is it and they're like what's well, it's 230 i'm like well, what what's your voltage going to the unit and they're like you know 216 i'm like that ain't 230 volt that's a 208 and the transformers in these units are set up for 230 volt from the factory, you know, because yeah. it's probably more common. And, uh, you know, that 208, 230 with the slash there, the backslash, it's it's one or the other. Um, and it's just enough, especially on the heating side. That inducer comes on. As soon as it goes to light, you got the low voltage on the, you know, you got all the safeties and then you got the gas valve and it would just restart cuz you'd have i'd see 19 volts i'd see 18 volts you know and it would just uh rude equipment does not like anything 19 and under so it would start over yep time delay um yeah 208 230 whatever it takes
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, the, Yeah, he he's reading an, what? <laughs> he's
0: reading nomenclature. He's not testing it that's with right. a meter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, he's I got about 216 and I'm like, "Well, that's not 240. That's that's pretty low." He's like, "Oh, it must be a 208 panel." I'm like, "Yeah, it probably is."
0: Yeah, be but
1: I was glad to get that call. That's an easy one. Yeah, you do on don't, a brand new you know, unit. That's about the best situation you could have. That's for sure. So, what's the plans on the new on the new wood shop?
0: Well, the new wood shop, I've got me a brand new bandsaw mill. I've seen a picture of that thing.
1: Yeah,
3: I know. I'll have to send you another one. I looked at it for a minute earlier tonight. Um, my buddy Coley, who is the lead singer in my high school band, there's my teenage dirtbag story, everybody. Um. <laughs> came up here he came and went to dinner with mom and dad and i hadn't seen him and i swear five or six years maybe more and he's not seen mom and dad in forever so it was nice to get to catch up a little bit but i walked him through the wood shop.
1: yeah i gotta come i gotta come check it out it was uh
0: in early early stages when i was up there yeah well it's nice now it, it has that central air and heat also. It has a wood stove. Uh, and a radiant floor. And a radiant floor, but I haven't hooked the radiant up yet. But I will eventually. Uh, but uh, shoot, I got enough waste wood. I can just burn that. It keeps the place toasty.
1: <laughs> I do love my, my wood shop I had in Atlanta. was uh, I had a little wood stove out there. <clears throat> Something about a wood stove and a wood shop. Yep. For one, you got a bunch of scrap laying around all the time. That's it. Yep. You can throw in one there. One way to
0: keep the floor clean.
1: Yep. <laughs> all right, Joe. Well, right. I'm we're gonna definitely say- going to have to do this again. Yeah, we definitely have to do more of this, Dad.
0: <laughs> you know, maybe we're talking about something really fun like fishing, catching crawfish, cooking jambalaya, or maybe making some gumbo. Now
3: yeah, Foodie is going to be wanting gumbo. to know where I've... the rest of this episode went after he heard gumbo.
1: <laughs> I know. I've so more we've, more after we've got seasoning. a buddy in
3: Canada who I need to send some of your seasoning to. But he's the, the mm-hmm. HVAC Foodie on Instagram. But mm-hmm. I think uh, he would get a kick out of hearing you talk about cooking the Cajun food. <laughs>
0: Well, anyway, just watch out. You got a buddy that comes over and borrows a hundred bucks and decides to get it back to the house before (laughs) four o'clock. That's
1: pretty good. That's actually good advice. (laughs) Pretty clever, actually.
0: (laughs) I thought it was. Uh, My wife and I were driving down home to Louisiana to visit the family. And I heard, I got a Cajun radio station and the guy was telling that joke and My wife is saying, "What is he saying? What is he saying?" I said, "Tell you when we get to my mama's house." Yeah, let me borrow a hundred (laughs) bucks. That's what (laughs) you (laughs) said. And I, am going down the road, just cracking up, you know. And she's, "What the heck's so funny? What's so funny?" I could not say a word. They said, "I said I did." No problem. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway. Well, thanks for coming on the show, a Joe. Good time, to, and it's good to speak with you yeah. guys. And uh, I respect y'all a lot. You take care of yourselves.
1: Thanks, Dad. We will, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Right, take take care.
0: care. I'm getting off. Bye.
1: Oh, that was fun. Oh yeah, cannot. You cannot get them stories on any other podcast. Come on.
3: No. <laughs> No, you can't, and I'll tell you, he he told some earlier this evening at dinner, and dude, I was wanting to laugh so hard, I cried at dinner, it was so funny, the stuff he was talking he's about. He's
1: just like my dad, it just... It just pours like they, out,
3: man, and I mean...
1: And just roll with it, yeah.
3: And I mean, he's told me so many stories. The stuff
1: they remember.
3: And now it's like, I, I mean, half, literally, probably 70% of tonight, I've never heard. That's half the reason I kept getting quiet, because I was like, I've never heard this stuff and it blows my mind
1: oh yeah no i'm not i I i'm just gonna let him roll you know you gotta just let him go no
3: you can't stop that and i mean i listened to him at 81 by the way everybody he's 81 now so when he was talking about working in that (laughs) chemical plant he was doing that in what the 60s and 70s with a pocket calculator and it just blows my mind oh yeah I mean, every time I listen to him speak about things he's done in life, he's he's even smarter than I ever knew the day before. Um, I well, wish my brain worked like that. You know, it's crazy.
1: The systems that he designs and puts in now, like I said, a heat pump at a house, he puts that knowledge and that effort from those big plants, he puts that yeah. into a little two-ton heat pump at some lady's house. I mean, yeah, It's
3: crazy. And that's, and that's and that's what same, he tried to teach me to do. That's what he tried to teach me to do. Yeah. And
1: like I said, there's the, there's whole slam
3: and go but it's crazy.
1: Oh yeah. He's got there's some there's a he's got a lot going on that uh you could get from that guy for sure.
3: Oh yeah. We definitely have to do so a, I have,
1: a few repeats of this. I know you gotta go to bed. Oh yeah. Well, I'm out of Willet, so uh, I am. I didn't drink a whole bottle; I just had one glass. But I'm out of that, so I'm like
3: halfway through a 12 pack. Oh, that clock, dude! That clock
1: is killing me. At <laughs> least when he was speaking, he covered it a good bit. I thought it went off every hour, so
3: every, every time th- it went
1: off during the show, I'm like, "Holy shit, is it midnight?" <laughs> <laughs> Almost.
3: So it goes off, you know, on the hour for the amount of the hour. But it dings every fifteen minutes to let you know you're hitting a quarter hour. It's old school. Old <laughs> every school time it convenient. went off,
1: I looked at my phone like like holy crap. Cause I'm used to like the church down the street, you know, you hear it on the hour. Yeah. Um
3: I'm sitting here watching him fix his morning but, coffee pot. This morning or isn't oh, yeah. routine is in full swing now. He's out, <laughs> he's pumped. The coffee ready. He's probably not gonna sleep for two hours. His brain is gonna go nuts like mine does every night.
1: Oh yeah. He's He's gotta wind down. Oh yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope y'all enjoyed that. And there's more to come. Oh, most definitely. And and uh I know Dennis
3: and I have kicked it around, but I'm seriously thinking about us putting some Cajun Joe's Bayou Spice on the swag shop if you're interested please let us know and I will
1: make that happen we gotta put it on there we gotta put that on there
3: yes absolutely
1: everybody I know around here has it in their pantry oh I I know I know Foodie needs it
3: oh Foodie needs it got Coley when he was over here I'll tell you one more quick story um Coley has always been obsessed with my dad's jambalaya so, they were talking about it, and he's like, Joe, you have to teach me how to cook this one day. <laughs> he's like, well, Coley, he said, do you want some jambalaya? He's like, I would love some jambalaya. He's like, right, and go downstairs to the freezer. And he literally, there's a, an ice cream bucket full of jambalaya he cooked, like, a week ago that he froze some oh. of it. And he gave it to Coley, and I thought Coley was going to have, like the greatest heart attack of his life right there. He's like, you were seriously giving me this? And then, (laughs) and then, so he's, so Coley's standing there holding his, his bucket of jambalaya. We'd already opened up an old choice, which is our band. I think you saw it, but we opened up that old bin that was down there. and realized some of his like original lyrics were in there. So he was geeking out about that. So he's holding all our old band stuff in one hand. He's holding a tub of jambalaya in the other hand. And dad opens up the cabinet. He's like, Oh Yeah grab that uh that big green topped bottle up there and it's this massive jar of ca- of his spice and coley's like you can't give oh. me this he's like oh i'm giving you this i thought i think coley i didn't even know what knew what to do with himself he's like i've not seen you guys in six years and like i'm leaving here with armfuls of stuff like i was a high school kid in here again it was funny yeah that's Dude, yeah, my, we my dad that made that such there. an impression on so many people. It's crazy. Like, my friends to this
1: day just love him. Oh, he's so easy to talk to, man. Like I said, when he would call me for tech support, we'd get the problem figured out, and then we'd talk for 45 more minutes. Yep. I mean, it's just, you know, can't get enough. All right, well.
3: I hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Once
1: again, thanks for all the support. Yeah. And, now, uh, now you know we'll what I'm as seasoning on crazy there. as
3: I am, at least a little bit.
1: You can't, <laughs> yeah.
3: My my oh yeah, I got some, my uh... Cajun Mountain upbringing. What in the hell?
1: I know. <sighs> <sighs> All right, we'll see y'all next time.
3: Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Peace.